Well, good morning. It has been uh, about two and a half years or so, two and a half plus years, uh, since I've had the opportunity to stand here before you and preach God's Word, and it is really encouraging to be home. And when I say home, you know, the last month and a half or so, my family and I have been traveling up and down the East Coast, every state in New England, and we've been everywhere, and we've been living out of a suitcase of the trunk of our car for a while. We've been home. We visited my family, my wife's family, uh, but there's just something special about being home at your home church. You realize that? You realize how special this is to be here, to have one another? It's such a blessing to have a church family like this. I know that you're grateful. I'm grateful. Uh, just to be here this morning is exciting for me and my family. So I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. And in Ephesians 3, we're going to start in verse 14, go down to verse 21, and uh, t- right to the end of the chapter there in chapter 3. But before we get into this, before I read it and, and pray and begin preaching this morning, I want to just share a little bit about how uh, we've come to this point where we are. Uh, I know some of you are friends of ours on Facebook, and uh, that's probably one of the best ways to get to know where we are. And if you've been following our lives on Facebook, you know we've been a lot of different places. And it's sort of hard to keep up with us. I find Facebook is very helpful for that, to keep up with friends that you sort of lost track of throughout the years. The last time we were here in December 2012, uh, we were preparing to go back to East Asia. And then we left in, I think, December 17th or so. And we ended up back in our, this previous city that we lived in, and we packed up everything and moved to a new city in the same area of the southwest part of that country uh, to begin a new ministry. And that was a new title, a new role, I guess, with the IMB. And that is working as a student strategist for university students all around the country, about 25 million. About 7 million plus or minus graduate every summer from universities there. So it's a huge, huge opportunity. Doors are wide open, still are, for ministry among those students. Uh, The year and a half that we spent in that city where we moved to, we had some wonderful opportunities to work with an English corner that became a Bible study that grew and grew, and it's still growing today and still going very strongly. And I think back in that year and a half time and the opportunities that the Lord gave us to minister to those students, and I have great fond memories. I have faces that are still in my mind, names that are still in my heart, and uh, people that I pray for. And I know you have similar uh, people in your life that you pray for and feel very, very dearly towards. Uh, from that point, we spent a year and a half moved again. <laughs> If you keep up with us on Facebook, it seems like every time you turn around, we're moving somewhere and going somewhere else. And so we went from there to another country. So that's two times moving internationally within less than two years. We moved to Taiwan, which, you know, according to some people, is a different country. For some people say it's not. It's the same. Let me just tell you, it's a different country. (laughs) Okay? Different passport, different currency, different everything. It's a different country. But we spent about a year in Taiwan, serving as 
uh, partnership strategist. Basically, my role with the IMB for our East Asian People's Affinity Group was to work as a connector for churches that were interested in partnering with our missionaries on the ground. And so we worked with American-based churches. We also worked with Taiwanese Baptist churches, uh, Korean Baptist churches, Malaysian, Singaporean, Filipino, anyone who could part and once and was willing to partner with us to reach the nations for Christ, we worked in that role as well, and we partnered with them. And so we spent a year in that role, connecting people, and something happened the last time I was actually back in the States last fall, October of 2014. I was involved in leading a a, a 10-church, 12-day tour of Oregon and Washington State. We put 1,500 miles on the rental van, and we traveled around to all these places. But something began to happen and stir in my heart, and I, I thought I'd, I'd begin sensing it for a while. In the back of my mind, I guess, every morning the Lord was waking me up and saying, hey, maybe it's time to, to go back to the States. And so I, I tell you that to kind of give you this, the story of how we got to where we are today and where we're heading shortly, just so you know and can keep up with us in case you get confused on Facebook trying to follow everything. Okay? Uh, during that conference, I had the opportunity to work with uh, a lot of different churches, a lot of different Southern Baptist churches. There are a few out there, not too many in Oregon and Washington State. But during that time, I had opportunity to stand in front of church groups like this, lead Q&A sessions, talk with them about partnering. And after doing this for several days, people kept approaching me and saying, you know what, you seem really comfortable in front of a church group like this. And I said, yeah. They said, you're really good at this. Yeah. And every day people were coming back to me saying this over, and I said, Lord, are you telling me I'm supposed to be standing in front of a church again back in the U.S.? And the feeling just kept growing, and it became overwhelming over time. And I talked with my wife about it, and we began really seriously praying about the direction the Lord would have us move for the, fu- for the future. For the last four months uh, that we were in, in Taiwan living there, we decided, okay, God, if you're, head- if you're leading us this way, we're going to go ahead and get our resume together, get it out there so that we can you know, test the waters, so to speak. So we sent our, our resume to one church, actually two, but one church in particular uh, in Middletown, Rhode Island. Has anyone ever been to Rhode Island? or Can anyone find where it is on the map? Okay, most people have no idea. It's not just an island. It is mostly land uh, on the, the coast, but part of it is an island. And so... Last Sunday night, after interviewing with them for four months, talking with the search committee, preaching there twice after we came back uh, from Taiwan, uh, meeting with the deacons, last Sunday night they gave us a phone call and extended a call for us to come and serve as their pastor at Middletown Baptist Church. So I just want to let you know where we're heading next. Uh, Just in case, like I said, you get confused on Facebook trying to follow and keep up with us. The Lord has made it abundantly clear to my wife and to my son and I and our family that this is where He wants us going next. So we are coming home permanently from uh, serving overseas, although we may go back, and Lord willing, I'd love to go back and, and visit some of those, those friends and those churches again. But we are going to be heading in Rhode Island. 
sometime in August, looking for a house and hopefully hearing back about that today so you can be praying about all these details. There are a lot of things that have to fall into place when you move from overseas. So this would be the one, two, third time we've moved internationally in three years. So pray for us. That's not easy. (laughs) But that's where we're heading very shortly. And as I was reading through this text today and preparing for this and reading over Paul's prayer for the church there in Ephesus. You know, last week, uh, as Pastor Jared was preaching, he began in Acts chapter 19 when Paul first came to Ephesus and began working with the church there. And so I thought really this week would be a good opportunity to look at this passage, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. As I was studying through this, I have to be honest, I shared this with my wife, there were several times where I became emotionally sort of overwhelmed at Paul's prayer. And because Paul is just pouring out his heart in prayer for these believers. And I began looking back in almost 20 years of full-time ministry now between churches that we've served at in the, in the U.S. And, and churches we've served, house churches and, and such that we've served with overseas. And I began to think about all of those faces and all of those names that had become so dear to me. Because there's something about pastoring. I, you may not understand all this completely, but a pastor has been charged with and entrusted with, by God, the oversight of the spiritual health of his congregation. This is very much a flock. Pastor Jared understands this. Uh, your elders understand this. Many of you can grasp what I'm saying here because the desire for your brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in their faith becomes all-consuming. And for a pastor, this is especially so. And so a pastor prays for and, and pours his life into the lives of the people that he is serving in the flock, making sure that the flock is fed, nourished, taken care of, that they understand God's Word, that they're living in obedience and and living a life that is worthy of the calling that they've received as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I began to get overwhelmed thinking about this, and I would read through this passage several times, and I'd get to a point and wanting to think about these people and pray for them and pray for their, their inner man to be strengthened, as Paul says. And I was overcome with emotion. And I think the same is true for Paul here. Of all the churches that he served at, I believe Paul uh, was probably more emotionally attached to the church in Ephesus than anywhere else. And as you read through the next couple weeks, this is just a little primer to get you ready for the rest of Pastor Jared's sermon series through the book of Acts. As you read through the rest of his time there in Ephesus, you'll see they struggled together. They went through some difficult times together as a church and as a pastor. And so as I read through and studied and prepared for what I was going to say, I realized a couple things. The reason why a pastor is so passionate about praying for his church is for several reasons. There's so much potential in the church body. This is the body of Christ here on earth. Only two institutions God has established. One is marriage. That's between a man and a woman, by the way. 
Uh, second one is the church. And the church is the greatest, most powerful institution in the world. We've been entrusted with the only life-giving message. The only message that, the, that can bring hope, that can bring dead people to life. And it's been given to us. And so there is so much potential within the church. And pastors realize that. You realize that too. But secondly, I, I thought of one thing, and we'll get to reading it in just a moment. I, I am going to get to the text in just a moment. Uh, the other thing I realized was this. That potential can only become reality as people are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and they're living out their faith. And God is living His life through them. And so a pastor knows for that potential to become reality, he has to pray for his church. And I'm praying this morning, I've prayed as I've gone through this, that you too would have the same pastoral sort of mindset and a love and a concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You realize you're sitting next to some of the most powerful people in the world? You say, wait a minute. You really are. The church of Jesus Christ is powerful. God's power in us, living in us and through us, reaching the world, that's power. And so our concern should be as we pray uh, that God would have His way among us and we would get down to the inner man and pray for the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as I read this text and as we pray together, I want you to do one thing throughout this message. It's going to go very quickly after this. I want you to think about one person in this church. You have their face in your mind's eye. They may be sitting next to you. They may be here. They may be in Haiti. I think we have like, what, 14 people in Haiti? There's quite a few people there. Uh, how many? Nine, 19 people. That's a whole three or four rows here. No wonder there's no one up in the front. I felt like I was a front row Baptist this morning. They're all gone in Haiti. So you might be thinking about them. You might even be thinking about your, your pastor. But I want you to think about one person this morning Get their, their face in your mind's eye. And I want you to take what Paul prays here and what you learn from this, and I want you to direct your prayers towards that one person. Would you do that for me this morning? Let's do this. Let's stand together as we read in honor of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And after I read, uh, you follow along and we'll pray and we'll begin. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout 
all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray this morning, Lord, as we think about these folks that we want to direct our prayers toward, that you would teach us through your word how we ought to pray for them. Lord, we know that you want to release in our lives and through our lives your unlimited power. And you want to do that through our prayers for one another. And so, Father, give us a heart and a desire to lift one another up and to pray for your body here at Green Pines Baptist Church. Lord, teach us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I really believe that God wants to do some great things through this church. I know you do too. I realize that without God's power, without Him working in our lives, nothing is going to happen. And so as we submit to Him, and as we yield our lives to Him, and allow Him to work in us and through us, those things will happen. And so how do you pray for the person sitting next to you? How do you pray for that person? As Paul begins in his outline, I just want us to look through several things. They're listed on the PowerPoint behind me. There it is. The reason for our prayers. So what is the reason? Why do we pray to begin with? Paul says in verse 14, for this reason. You say, wait a minute. What is he talking about? So usually when you're reading the Scriptures like this, you want to figure out what the context is, right? So you back up and you say, well, let's, let me look. Verse 13, 12, 11. You start backing up. And you get back to chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, for this reason... I, Paul, and you say, wait a minute, so I have to go further back than chapter 3, verse 1 to figure out what is the reason for Paul bowing his knee before the Father to pray for the Ephesian believers. What's the reason? And the reasons, I say plural, I should have put an S on that word, the reasons are many. And you actually have to go back to chapter 1. All of chapter 1 and chapter 2 in this letter, by the way, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church from a prison cell in Rome. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him next, whether he's going to be released or whether he's going to be executed. Eventually he is released, but he's later captured and and executed under Nero, Emperor Nero. But at this time, he is writing this letter from church, and he begins, even though he's in this condition of being in bondage, not knowing his future, being uncertain, he's pouring out his heart to them, and he starts in chapter 1 listing for them this huge list of the benefits of being in Christ. When we talk about in Christ, this phrase is used constantly through the book of Ephesians. In Christ needs, means to be a part of his body, to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And he goes through this list here beginning in chapter 1. So follow along with me and we'll figure out what are the reasons for Paul's prayer, what are the reasons for our prayers. Look in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And then he says right there in verse 4, He chose us. We were chosen by Him. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we have redemption. In Him we have redemption through His blood. We also have what? The forgiveness of our sins. Skip down to verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Okay? Verse 13, the end of verse 13, it says, uh, well, let's read all of verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So all of these things, we have the promised Holy Spirit, we've been chosen, we've been adopted, predestined, we've been, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look over to chapter, right at the end of chapter 1, verse 22. He talks about the church, and he says the church here at the end of verse 22, comma, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So we are the church, the body of Christ. We have all of these spiritual blessings. Chapter 2, verse 4, He loved us with this great love with which He loved us. Verse 5, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one could boast. But we've been saved by grace. And look at verse 10. Why? We were created, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Chapter 2, verse 13. We have been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then you get down to the end of chapter 3. And he says, you are, you Ephesians, you are fellow citizens with the saints, verse 19, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, verse 22, right at the end of chapter 2, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what are the reasons for our prayer for that person you're thinking about, for the body of Christ, for our brothers and sisters? The reason is God has put so much into us. We are His body. We are His instruments in this world. There is so much at stake here within the church. And so the reason we pray for one another is so that that potential can be released in our personal inner lives and through us to this world. We've been created for good works. God already prepared these things in advance for us to walk in them. And so we have a unique place in this world. We have a unique responsibility. And God wants it to happen. And we should want it to happen. So what Paul does here is he is reminding the readers, the Ephesians, of all the things that they have in Christ. He says, this is why... I'm praying for you so that these things can become powerfully effective in your life. So why do we pray for others? Because of who we are in Christ. 
and the potential that we have. So we move on from there. Not only the reason, but the faith of our prayers. Look at verse 14. He says, For this reason, we know that already, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be, and He talks about the things that He's praying for, the context of His prayer. So what about the faith of our prayers? As you're thinking about that person, maybe you're thinking about someone in Haiti right now. Maybe you're thinking about someone sitting next to you or someone that's not here today. As you're praying for their personal, spiritual well-being, you remember who it is you're praying to. Okay? The faith of our prayers is in a God whose riches, he says here, the riches of His glory are innumerable. Can you even fathom, can you and I even fathom or delve the depths of the riches of the glories of God? It's impossible. The one that we're praying to, His riches always, listen, this is important to remember as we pray for people, His riches always exceed our requests. Paul doesn't say, I'm praying that out of your riches you would give them just a, a few crumbs. Okay? I really pray, you know, you've got some, some riches, I want you to just give them a couple. No, the idea here, Paul is, is praying to a God that he knows is capable of anything and everything. In fact, we see at the end of this prayer, more than he could ever think or imagine. And so God is willing and He is able to answer our prayers. And Paul says, I'm praying for you according to the riches of His glory. And so when we pray for people, we don't pray just a simple, yeah, uh, God, you know, help me if you can. You say, God, I know you're all-powerful what you have available to bless them, to work in their lives and work through them to meet their needs is beyond anything I can imagine. And so it's like going to someone who has you know, a decent job, maybe they make $60,000, $70,000 a year, and you say, I want to ask you for something. You just use uh, your financial uh, gifts to help this person. And the difference between going to them and going to someone who is a multi-billionaire and saying you have all of this wealth and I'm asking you to bless someone over here use your wealth not just a little bit of it but use a lot of it pour out the riches of your glory and this is we'll see later this is the goal of our prayers as well God wants to pour out the riches of his glory because we are his body in the world he wants his glory to shine in and through us to the world and so we pray in faith that God and his riches are more than we could ever ask for even imagine he always exceeds our requests and so it's always available there should be an excitement when we pray to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ, shouldn't there? There should be this knowledge and this faith that God is able, He can do it, He can do more than I can ever imagine or think.
And so we see the reason that we pray. We see the faith of our prayers. And we see the content. What exactly do you pray for someone here at Green Pines Baptist Church? You might know your brothers and sisters pretty well. And sometimes there are specific needs in their lives uh, that you know to pray for. And you can get pretty specific in your request. But look at the content here, the third section of this, the content of Paul's prayer. He's not really specific, and I think there's a reason for that. I think this is a model prayer that we can adapt on our own to pray certain things for people. But I think Paul, in writing a letter, could sit there and, and take up three or four times the amount of space and say, I'm praying for you in this specific area, and name the people by name, and go through all the different things. But that's not his goal here. His goal is to pour out his heart. Sometimes, I've run across this myself in praying for people as I'm interceding on their behalf, other Christians. Sometimes the words just aren't adequate. Have you ever found yourself praying like that? You say, God, this person, my brother, my sister here, they're going through this circumstance, and God, I just, you know these things, and God, I just want to, I just want to, and you just fall short, right? You don't really know exactly what to pray. And so the prayers come across sounding sort of general, but they're passionate, aren't they? God, give them strength. Give them power. God, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you've done it in my own life. I know that. But God, somehow do that in their life. However you wish, whatever, according to your wisdom, the best way to answer this prayer, God, just, just empower them. And you just stop because you don't know exactly what to pray. And so Paul here, he's overcome by emotion thinking about these Ephesians. And he starts listing these things. What does he pray for? The content of his prayer is this. First of all, strength. He says in verse 16 that according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant you, He says to the Ephesians, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power. You remember, we're talking about the inner being, the inner man, the places where no one else sees, no one else understands, but God alone. You're praying for someone, you don't even really understand what's going on in their heart. But all you know is that God is leading you to pray for them to be strengthened in their heart, in that inner place. And so Paul says, strengthened with power. This word power, translated from the original Greek, some of you may have already guessed it already, it's from the Greek word dunamē. It means dynamite, right? That's where we get the word dynamite from. But in this context, this word power has a miraculous connotation. And so when we pray for people to be strengthened with power in their inner being, it's something only God can do. God, work in their heart, guard their heart, strengthen their heart, establish their heart, protect their heart, give them miraculous power that is from you, directly from you, infused into their life. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know all the details, but God... You know how, and this is what I'm going to pray for. 
Have you ever found yourself praying for someone just to be strengthened in their inner spirit? I hope so. If not, you can start today. You can pray for me that way. That'd be great. <laughs> in fact, if you're thinking about me throughout the sermon, just keep it coming. I like that. But pray for people to be strengthened with power. We need God's strength and God's power because the life that is around us, the things that happen to us, come at us. And if our life isn't securely rooted on the solid ground and empowered and strengthened by God's Spirit here in the inner man, the things that happen to us in our lives will just tear us down, knock us down. The floodwaters will come over us and we'll be weak and powerless. And so we need to be praying for one another to be empowered with miraculous power through God's Spirit in the inner man. The second thing, surrender. What can you pray for that person you're thinking about right now? Surrender. You may not see this. I want you to understand from this text what Paul is talking about. He says, after uh, praying for strength and power through His Spirit in your inner, pers- your inner being... He says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you you might think, looking at this, you say, well, I know my theology, Pastor. I know that a Christian, once that person realized that they're lost, they're separated from God, and the only way to be reconciled is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a transaction that's made, and even in verse 1, or in chapter 1, Paul says, the Spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, Pastor, I know my theology. A believer is already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Shake your head, yes, you agree, right? This is, this is theology 101. This is Bible theology. This is Christian theology 101. This is what happens. So what does he mean, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Well, the word dwell that he uses here is a much more colorful word. It means to make oneself comfortable in a place. And so what he's praying for the Ephesians, because he knows it's the best thing for them to be strengthened with power in in their inner man, but he also prays for them to surrender to God's Spirit so that God's Spirit is at home and comfortable in every area of their life. You realize a Christian, we know, we've already talked about this, is indwelt by the Spirit, but sometimes we, I think we make the Spirit very uncomfortable because He's always trying to, to get into those areas of our life that we don't want to yield to Him. Right? You can have all of my life, God, we say, but this one area. This room over here, I've shut the door, I've locked it, I've got the key. God, you can't go in there. But you can have the rest of it. And God says, no, no, no. I come to fill you. I want to be comfortable and at home in every area of your life. I can only shore up the defenses and protect you and give you power when I have access to that area, right? And so we pray for our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, strengthen them. And as you strengthen them, Lord, may they surrender to you in all areas of their lives so that you can strengthen them even more. 
I pray this for myself sometimes. I just hit these walls and I think, God, my prayers may be bouncing off the ceiling, but where is it, Lord, that I haven't allowed you to be comfortable and settled in my own life? And so we pray this for our brothers and sisters because we know the potential is there. The potential for their spiritual health and growth is there. They just have to surrender all those areas. And so Paul prays for strength. He prays for, go back up one slide. He prays for not only their strength, but he also prays for their surrender. And he prays for their knowledge. If you ever found yourself praying for someone, you say, God, I found myself praying this for my wife and my son a lot. Lord, let them know how much you love them. You ever prayed that for someone? Oh, man, that's a powerful prayer. And that's exactly what Paul says here. Look at the rest of this. Verse 17, he says, After uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, listen, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay? We find our root and our stability in the love, the agape. That's the, the Greek word that's translated. The unconditional Love that Jesus Christ has for His bride, for the church. That's where we stand. We are rooted and grounded in love. And he says, verse 18, listen, it gets better. May have strength to comprehend or to really grasp hold of and make it your own with all the saints, the other believers, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, the love that He has for you, that surpasses knowledge. So here's Paul praying that they would be able to understand and really know experientially something that he's already said is, is beyond knowledge. I want you to know something that it's impossible to know if not for the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life. You're grounded in His love. You're rooted in His love. And now I'm praying as you grow in grace and knowledge, as you grow deeper in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm praying for you that you grasp experientially and make it your own how much Christ really loves you. The Gospel, I shared this with a friend of mine we were talking about uh, the gospel itself, it never grows old. Never. It's like a diamond that we put on a black velvet backdrop. You can, this is the love of Christ for us shed abroad in our hearts through the gospel. We can turn that diamond and we see something new and powerful and beautiful every time we turn it. This is beyond knowledge. The world that doesn't know Christ cannot understand the love of Christ. But when you accept it into your heart and you allow it to change you from the inside out, it opens up a whole new understanding. We're going to spend the rest of our lives here on earth preparing to spend eternity with a Creator who loved us so much He sent His only Son to die for us as a sacrifice in our place. And that kind of love 
is so overwhelming and so far beyond our comprehension that the more time we spend here growing in and understanding the love of Christ, the less culture shock we're going to have when we get there. And He just lavishes us with love for eternity. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh God, help them to know how much You love them experientially through their lives. That's the third part of the content. The last part here is it grows. As you go through this prayer that Paul is praying, you begin to understand the emotion that's welling up inside of Paul as he's praying for these Ephesian believers, many of whom he suffered and struggled through difficult times with, as he thought of their faces, and he began to really pour out his heart in intercession for them. He prays for strength. He prays for surrender, for the knowledge of the love of Christ to just grow and grow and grow, and it becomes exponentially greater. And at the end of this prayer, he says this, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. You ever pray for your brothers and sisters or maybe your wife or your children or your husband? You pray for your pastor, pray for your missionaries? <laughs> okay? I, it was great to talk to someone this morning in the lobby. She said, you know, we want you to know we haven't forgotten about you. We're praying for you. Man, that means so much. There have been times I know when I've lived overseas, I was going through something, and I just sensed at that moment, God, someone is praying for me right now. Oh, isn't that awesome to know that, to understand that and deep in your heart? And he says for the, for the Ephesians, the, the, most, the goal of this all, what I really want to see in your life is that you are filled with all the fullness of God. So how, what happens when we're filled with all the fullness of God? How much is the fullness of God? Well, God fills all in all. That's what he says at the end of chapter 1. He is the fullness of God. He fills all. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in bodily form. So here, His church, individual believers, are now filled with the fullness of God. Guess what happens when you're full of God? He spills out. Okay? It's like taking a cup. God pours in, pours in, pours in, fills up. And guess what happens? You start to overflow. How does that overflow? The Holy Spirit in your life begins to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things become so abundant in our lives that it is obvious to those around us that we are full to the fullness, all, not just the fullness, but all the fullness of God. And this is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is what we need to be praying for one another. God, give them strength. Lord, help them to surrender every part of their heart to you so you'll be comfortable there in every room of their heart. God, give them a knowledge, and a, just an experiential knowledge of how much you love them. Fill them up with yourself so that the world will see. So that you will be glorified through them in their lives. And so we see the content of Paul's prayer. I hope this is challenging you as you think about praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ here at this church. But I'm going to go to the next part because we've got two more real quick. The potential of our prayers. 
the potential of our prayers. At this point, there were several times this past week as I was thinking about people that I had ministered to in the past, whether it was at the Chinese church where I served for two years here in Raleigh, the church that I pastored in Virginia Beach for a year, uh, the three and a half of uh, the three years I spent in Florida at a church, the three and a half years I spent here at Green Pines, or the nine years I spent overseas working with minority people groups, university students, and others. I began to think of all these people and all these prayers poured out on their behalf. And as I read through verse 20, my prayers came alive because I realized something. You know, Paul understood this. The potential of his prayers to release the power of God in their lives is beyond what we can imagine or ask. And that's what he says here. Listen, verse 20. Now, he just pauses in the middle of his prayer. He says, man, man, man. I I pray for, for all the fullness of God. Now, to him, to God, who is able to do in response to our prayers far more abundantly, not just more abundantly, not just abundantly, but far more abundantly. Some of the versions, I I know, I, I think I grew up in the King James, exceedingly abundantly, right? Beyond abundantly. Then all we ask, that's our prayers, or think. Do you understand that? This will really help you in your prayer life when you're interceding for someone in their spiritual life and you're praying for their inner man. You you understand, you know what, God? Words get me only so far. God, you know what they need. And I don't. And so you're able far and above what I can even think about asking for to answer these prayers. It's like in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that sometimes we just don't know how we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit takes those groans and He translates them, interprets them to God, brings them to the throne. And so our prayers have incredible potential beyond what you and I can imagine. And so when you're praying for someone and you get to a point where you just say, I don't really know what else to pray, God. That's okay. Because that's when God says, I know you don't know what to pray. But I know what I want to do in their lives. And it's beyond what you can even think about. And you say, God, that that just increases my faith in your potential to answer these prayers. And God, just give it to you. And this is a praise. This This is a response of worship by Paul. The potential of our prayers is beyond anything that we can imagine, according to, he says, the power that's at work within us. The same idea is present in Philippians when he talks about this power. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to give you that desire and that ability to do what pleases Him. So God is able to do things that we can't. That's why we're praying for these people. And He's able to do something more than we can even imagine. And so here's a praise At the end of this, I want you to see the last point. The last point is this. The potential of our prayers, the goal of our prayers. Why are you praying 
for your brother and sister in Christ in the first place. It's so that God's glory would be revealed in their lives, in the church. Here it is. If we're praying for the glory of God, he says this in verse 21, we can't go wrong. You understand? He says, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the end of his prayer. His prayer ends with this culmination, this doxology of praise to God. God, I'm praying for them. I don't know exactly what to pray, but here are some things. And God, the rest of it, where my prayers stop, you take it from there and do what you want to do in their lives. Because you're able. And the goal of my prayer is that you will be glorified in their life. This word glory has the connotation of shining outward for people to see. Okay? So we pray for God to shine through the lives of fellow believers so that the world will see the glory of God. That's the goal of our prayer. So I ask you this morning... Have you been thinking about that person? You see their face in your mind's eye? Would you commit every day this week? I'm going to ask, I'm going to get right to the application, give you homework, okay? You might not ever see me again. I might be moving this week, I don't know. But I'm going to give you homework anyway. Here's your homework. Take that one person. Write their name on a piece of paper, maybe on the bulletin. Stick it in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 3. Close it. Tomorrow or tonight, whenever you pull it out, tomorrow morning, when you open your Bible, look at their name, go back through Ephesians 3. Go back through the content of that prayer. Remember that you're praying to a God who is able, far exceedingly abundantly above anything that you can ask or even imagine or think about praying. And intercede for that person. I truly believe, listen, I truly, really from my heart, I believe when a church begins interceding, not just a pastor for his church, but when the church members themselves all begin interceding for one another, praying for their spiritual strength and their spiritual vitality and growth, we will see God do things in and through us that we never even thought possible. Do you believe that? Would you do that this week? You need to be shaking your heads right now, okay? Yes, I will do that, okay? Let's pray together.